probably, you may have never read this, but I preach, old preacher sent this to me a long time ago, and I've always kept it in my phone and looked at it. But it says, in Genesis, the world was made by God's creative hand. In Exodus, the Hebrews marched to gain the promised land. Leviticus contains the law, so holy, just, and good. And Numbers writes, the tribes enrolled, all sons of Abraham's blood. Moses in Deuteronomy writes of God's most mighty deeds. Brave Joshua in Canaan's land, the host of Israel leads. In Judges, their rebellion oft provokes the Lord to smite. But Ruth records the faith of one well-pleasing in his sight. In First and Second Samuel of Jesse's son we read, Ten tribes in First and Second Kings revolted from his seed. The First and Second Chronicles see Judah captive made. But Ezra leads a remnant back by princely Cyrus's aid. The city walls of Zion, Nehemiah builds again, while Esther saves her people from the plots of wicked men. In Job, we read uh, how faith will live beneath affliction's rod, and David's psalms are precious songs to every child of God. The Proverbs, like a goodly string of choicest pearls, appear. Ecclesiastes teaches men how vain all things are here. The mystic song of Solomon exalts sweet Sharon's rose, while Christ the Savior and the King, the rapt Isaiah, shows. The warnings Jeremiah now apostate Israel scorns, his plaintive lamentations then their awful downfall mourns. Ezekiel deals in wondrous words of dazzling mysteries, while kings and empires yet to come in visions Daniel sees. Of judgment and mercy brave Hosea loves to tell, Joel describes the blessed days when God with men shall dwell. Among Tekoa's herdsmen, Amos there received his call, while Obadiah prophesies of Edom's final fall. Jonah enshrines a wondrous type of Christ, our risen Lord, while Micah tells of Judah's last lost but again restored. Nahum declares on Nineveh just judgment, just judgment, wrath shall fall. When Medes and Babylonian hosts shall level every wall. A view of Chaldea's coming doom, Habakkuk visions give. New Zephaniah, next Zephaniah warns the Jews to turn, repent, and live. Haggai wrote to those who saw the temple built again, and Zechariah prophesied of Christ's trumpet reign. Twas Malachi, the last who touched the high prophetic chord, its final notes sublimely. Show the coming of the Lord. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the Holy Gospels wrote, describing how the Savior died, his life, and all he taught. Acts proves how God does the apostles own with signs in every place, and Paul in Romans teaches us how man is saved by grace. The apostles in Corinthians now instructs, exhorts, reproves. Galatians shows that faith in Christ alone the Father loves. And Ephesians and Philippians tells what Christians ought to be. Colossians bids us live for God and for eternity. Thessalonians is taught the Lord will come from heaven. And Timothy and Titus finds a bishop's rule is given. Philemon shows a Christian's love as only Christians saw. Hebrews revealed the gospel grace prefigured in the law. James teaches without holiness faith is but vain and dead. And Peter points the narrow way in which the saints are led. In three epistles, John, we see, on love delights to to dwell. While Jude gives an awful warning there of judgment, wrath, and hell. 
Revelation prophesies of that tremendous day when Christ and Christ alone shall be the trembling sinner stay. I'm thankful for the Word of God this evening. I'm thankful for the Word of God this evening. There's nothing better than it. There's nothing higher than it. It is the Word of God in which everything you know today rests on. It is that Word of God, and that is it. Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1. If you've never read through, wrote, read through every book of the Bible, you ought to. You ought to do it now. I'm just telling you the truth. You ought to do it now. Revelation chapter number 1. Try to find our text. And uh, we'll ask the Lord to help us. And uh, then we'll read our text. So you can stand whenever you found your place in Revelation chapter number 1. Uh, and we'll pray asking God to help us first, and I'm looking forward to what God has in store. Lord, we love you. We ask you, God, to help in the preaching of the word and bless the reading of your word, and we pray, God, that you would have your will and way. We love you so much. In Jesus' precious and holy name, I do pray. Amen. Revelation chapter number 1, verse 9, the Bible says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, when the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and when thou seest write, what thou seest, write in a book and send it into the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to the sea the voice that, I, that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden ribber, girdle. Excuse me. His, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they had been burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right foot upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am ever alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We thank you, Lord. I'm praying again. Lord, uh, we thank you for the time that you've given us. And we ask you, God, please help us. Help me to preach the word of God straight and true. In Jesus' name, amen. As I prepared this week on, a, on our series entitled The Revelation, third part of this series, we learned about the introduction of the book, and then last week we looked in more of the salutation side of the book and preached about who this book is all about. And so we looked into that, and I really desired the will of God for us to be done here tonight. And I started to preach only verse 9 through verse number 11, where it talks about John, because there's a lot to say in that. But really, it all goes together. And guess what? It's still all about Him. Amen? 
you know, there, there, there's a lot. John and Jesus were very close, and, and we understand that. And John followed Jesus consistently throughout the Lord's ministry upon this life of approximately six, five years, four years, somewhere around there. Uh, and he followed him a lot, and he knew uh, who Jesus was. We agree on that. He knew who Jesus was. He watched him in compassion. He watched him on the cross. He watched him as Christ in his life and the lives of those who around him. But as John looked this time, he did not see him as he had seen him before. He did not see him as he seen him when he laid on his bosom that day at the Last Supper. He did not see him as he seen him on the cross. But he seen him in a different manner. He didn't see him in any way. But in this time, he saw him in all of his glory uh, he saw him in everything that he's ever been he's shining bright uh, and he's shining loud and he didn't just see the friend he didn't just see the teacher uh, he didn't just see the cross but he saw the son of man uh, and Jesus called himself uh, the uh, son of man uh, 81 times in the gospel it's more than anything he ever called himself uh, and he said you know the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost uh, And we can think of many different verses in regards to that. But he called himself the Son of Man in Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 13 through verse number 14. And Daniel describes Christ to look this way at the appearing appearing of the Messiah when the Messiah would come. At the second advent when the Messiah would come, he would look just like this. And he would look in the realms of this way. And if the Jews of that day knew a name, they knew the name. Son of Man. They knew the name of Christ uh, as being the Son of Man. He proclaimed it. Uh, Daniel in his uh, part of the scriptures proclaimed it. Uh, and then Acts chapter 7 verse six, uh, verse 56 uh, as Stephen has been stoned uh, he looked up and he said uh, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Uh, he was standing there and as there's many Jews uh, around him and the Sanhedrins as they're stoning Stephen. Uh, at that time they looked and they said uh, hey he's, he's the son of man standing there uh, and, and there he was and he saw the son of man standing on the right hand of God uh, and this was no lowly lamb uh, um, this was the lion uh, he was all God uh, he was all man uh, and when John and Stephen and Jesus used this term the son of man uh, it's simply stating hey uh, I'm not just uh, a man uh, I'm not just God uh, but I'm both I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm the King of Kings. I'm the Lord of Lords. I'm the baby in the manger, but I'm the man sitting on the throne too. That's who I am. I'm the God in heaven. I'm the great counselor. I'm the mighty God. I'm the Lord of Lords. I'm the King of Kings. I am everything to you. And that's what He is when He's saying the Son of Man. It's describing all of His attributes together at once. No man in his mortal eye had seen this, but John was in the Spirit. No man in his mortal eye had seen this, but we understand that John, James, and Peter, had it totally backwards, saw him in this state in Matthew chapter 17. Up on top of Mount Transfiguration as Moses and Elijah appeared there in a cloud and a personly form 
But nonetheless, John says, I've never seen such. I've never seen somebody like this. I've never seen it like this. And I'm going to preach on this thought tonight. Looking and seeing Him. In big letters. Looking and seeing Him. Notice six things or seven things maybe that I see here. And I'm going to be done quickly. I'm going to try to. I might not be, but I'm going to try to. I want you to notice number one. I want you to notice the valley of John. The valley of John. John says, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation in the kingdom and patience of the Lord Jesus, who in the, who, in the isle of Pat, that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, uh, is in Patmos is where he is. Uh, he says, I, John, and we understand this is John the Beloved, uh, and uh, that one that laid his head on the bosom of our Lord, uh, and that one that went all the way with Christ, uh, um, the one... Uh, that was the first one to the tomb. Uh, you know, now he's in a valley. The fact is, valleys will come in your life. So we see the person in this valley, and he says, I, John, John the Beloved, the one that had done all of this stuff, the one that went all the way with Christ, still found himself in a valley. The person in the valley. Secondly, we see the persecution of the valley. We see, he says, your brother and companion in tribulation. Your brother and your companion in tribulation. Brother describes John, his salvation. He was saved. He was a saved man. He's writing to churches. He's saying, listen, I know there's much persecution going on, but I'm right there with you. I am persecuted just with you. According to history, they're under the reign of the Roman Empire and the Roman emperor there, Domitian, uh, um, that's who the one that threw him into that prison. Uh, and that's the one who threw him and exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he is. Uh, and if you study, you'll find there was much persecution going on in those days uh, against the saints of God. Uh, this is where the temple was destroyed. Uh, just prior to this, the temple was destroyed. Uh, and there was many things that took place around this time. Uh, um, but John here, he says, uh, I am your brother uh, and I am your companion in tribulation. What you're going through, I'm probably going through. If you're saved, I'm saved. And I am your brother. And it doesn't matter how close to the Lord you are, persecution will come. There's the persecution of the valley. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the prospective from the valley. He says, in the kingdom. He says, in the kingdom, he goes on and tells, uh, and in the kingdom, uh, and in the no matter the valley, keep your perspective clear. What is the perspective? That's the future. He's saying there's a kingdom coming. Uh, and we know we could look back in the New Testament and find uh, uh, where John had been there probably when the Lord gave his prayer uh, or the model prayer, if you will. Uh, um, thy Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, and thy will be done, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and so on and so on. Uh, but he's saying, hey, there's a kingdom coming. Uh, and there is a kingdom in hand. And the prospect of, uh, hey, the best is yet yet to come. The better days are ahead uh, and your cross must come before your crown. Press on the perspective from the valley. Then fourthly, I want you to notice the perseverance of in the valley. Perseverance, he said, and patience of Jesus Christ. And patience of Jesus Christ. If you're going to live a life of faith, it's going to take patience and perseverance. Amen. It's going to. Just may not. Jesus may not come tomorrow, beloved, but He may. But He may not. He may not come tomorrow. We must press on till He comes. Amen. Amen. 
We must. There's perseverance in the valley. And then there's uh, the place of the valley. And we understand that John says uh, this is the isle that is called Patmos. The isle that is called Patmos. John wasn't in a a five-star motel. He wasn't in the Patmos Hilton, friend. He wasn't in all of those things, but he was there uh, on that isle and exiled there. Uh, and this place was found in the Aegean Sea. Uh, and in the Aegean Sea, it was about 30 miles from Ephesus. Uh, and this sea and this island was approximately 15 miles long uh, and approximately 6 miles wide uh, and or 10 miles long and 6 miles wide, somewhere around there. Uh, and this may have been relief for John, though. He said, relief on Patmos? Well, history tells us, history tells us that John was placed in a pot of oil and burned uh, by the Roman Empire. He was burned, uh, yet it didn't kill him. I wonder why it didn't kill him. Because God was not finished with John. Uh, He needed John to get this revelation uh, and write this down. Uh, John was approximately 90 years old at this time. uh, And he's sitting out on an island. Uh, He's not sitting in a good place. uh, But he is sitting at the place that God wants him to be. Uh, And friend, your island, uh, your time, uh, your Patmos may be a valley. And it may be way low. uh, And it may be way hard to come. By, but you will come through it if you'll persevere. There's a place of the valley, and then there's the preaching before the valley, and he says, uh, For the word of God. That's why he's there. He's there for the word of God. Clearly there was a reason John was exiled to this place. And it was for the preaching of the word of God. And the testimony of Jesus Christ. He went from doing what's right. That's why he went there. Notice with me. I want you to notice what John preached. The Bible says he preached the word of God. Is that not right? It says all that is called Patmos for the word of God. He preached the word of God. He didn't preach what he wanted. Uh, He didn't preach what they wanted. uh, But he preached what God wanted. Uh, He preached the word of God. He called out sin. Uh, He called out uh, all the the wickedness of that day. Uh, And he commissioned the saints. And they didn't like it. So they cast him into the cell. What John preached? Well, John preached the word. Who John preached? Says the testimony of Jesus Christ. He preached Jesus. He preached Him crucified, risen, uh, and alive forevermore, coming again. Uh, He preached the gospel. Uh, He preached against it all. Their gods, their ways, their rulers, their lives, uh, every wicked thing. He pointed men to Christ, uh, and they did not like that. I tell you, just preach on. There's coming a day when we could experience this too. I was listening to a polo I'm in, polo group good men of God, missionaries, so on. And and they were talking about a lot of this stuff right now. There is a lot of persecution going on. There's missionaries that we know that are being persecuted left and right. The Troel family, the Stephen just passed away. We understand that. Persecution. Martyr for the faith. We understand that the... the, the Murray family just had to flee there from uh, Bolivia because of what? War. I'm telling you, friends, it's coming. It's coming to America, and it's coming fast, friend. We see the valley of John. Secondly, I want you to notice the valuing of John. The Bible says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
And we understand one of my favorite messages that's ever been preached is Brother Tim Floor preaches a message been in two places at one time. And he talks about John being in Patmos, but he was in the Spirit. He was in Patmos, but he was in his Spirit. And you can be in two places at one time too, but I'm not getting into that. But my point is, in the middle of his Patmos, in the middle of his valley, he said, the Lord is still a full value to me. He said, I'm still going to find a place to pray. I'm still going to find a place to worship. I'm still going to find a place to meet with God. I'll still get in the Spirit on that day. By the way, after the resurrection, the first day of the week was the day that people met. And he met on the first day of the week. It's on the Lord's day. And this shows me a few things. Number one, it shows me John is devoted. Now, he's not just, on a, he's not just a mountaintop shouter. He's not just one that can shout while everything's going good and everything's going great. Uh, No, he'll shout in the valley just as loud. Uh, He'll worship God in the valley just as good. Uh, He's not in the Hilton. Uh, He's not in the AC. Uh, He's not on padded pews. Uh, He's in confinement. Uh, He's hungry. He's probably cold. Uh, And everything is going on. Uh, But that did not matter to him. Uh, He said, Jesus is just as valuable to me uh, in my Patmos as he is uh, when everything's going good on the mountaintop. Uh, and I tell you something, friends, here tonight. Uh, you uh, um, better stay shouting in that valley. Uh, you may not peak the hill, uh, but whether you're in the valley or on the mountain, uh, he's still God and he's still good. He'll never change and you better worship him in your valley. Amen. If you don't worship him in your valley, can I just tell you, you probably won't come out long. You probably, it'll probably take you a little longer to get out of there. You worship and shout him in the valley. And I promise you some things that take place in your life. Yeah, man. John is devoted. Then secondly, John is different. Now, I'm going to worship him here anyhow. Amen. Can, can I tell you some profound truth? Uh, your best witness will be in the valley. Your best witness will be in your valley. How you react to the valleys of your life will prove to others that what you got is worth it. That what you got is much value to you. And if you bend and you compromise and you change while you're in the valley, you won't be great on the mountaintop either, friend. And let me just tell you, let the valley mold you. Let it mount maintain you. And let it make you into the Christian God wants you to be. The Bible says that it tells us very clearly in the book of Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it goes on to tell us, be ye not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. You may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. It is that. And you're not conforming to Him. You're conforming to him, and that's what he does while he's in the valley. His part purpose of your valley is simply to put you in there to mold you, to maintain you, and to make you into his image. Amen. That's what he's got you in the valley. And John is different. He says, Listen, I don't care if I'm on Patmos, I don't care if I'm on good land or bad land or in the valley or on the mountain. No matter what, I will praise you, Lord. I will worship you, Lord. No matter what, I will. And man, that ought to be our objective around this place. Preacher, I'm, I'm telling you, you, you I, I just can't. I can't worship him. Why? Nobody else is. 
Well, my goodness, I wouldn't let everybody else stop me from praising the Lord. I don't care. I mean, he, I'm great. I'm glad that he done everything for you that he's done for you. But man, he's done a lot for me. I, I ain't praising him for what he's done for you, but I'm praising him for what he's done for me. It's personal, friend, and I am going to thank him for it. Amen, yeah, friend. The value uh, of John, the valley of John. Uh, then we see thirdly the voice of Jesus, uh, where the Bible says, uh, "And I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, uh, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and last. And what uh, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it into the seven churches." Uh, and then it goes through all those churches in Asia: Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it goes through all those churches there. Uh, and this is not a man that is unfamiliar with the voice of Christ, but rather I'm sure it echoed in his mind as he heard the Lord many times say, it is finished. As he heard the Lord say, Father, into thine hands I commend my spirit. As he heard the Lord say, woman, into thy woman, behold thy son, and son, behold thy mother. And as he said, all of those words echoed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm sure it echoed through the voice, through the mind of of John the beloved here uh, and as he come down and he got the divine secrets of Christ uh, maybe it echoed in his mind uh, I remember that voice uh, and here he is some 60 years later uh, and he's sitting out on an island of Patmos uh, and he's still hearing the voices of God but it don't sound like it used to it's different than it was then uh, I remember His voice. This voice I don't recognize and I'm going to have to turn around and see this voice. So we see the voice of Jesus and I want you to notice the caller of this voice. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And this John, this got John's immediate reaction. It got his immediate reaction, his immediate attention. Uh, and this was the writer of it all. Uh, and this was all of it. And their voice, uh, this voice as a trumpet was a call uh, of attention. You'll find in the book of Revelation as we go through it that there's more than one time where there's a trumpet that shouts, that blows as a voice. And all it is is to get John's attention to pin something. And there's been some trumpets in the Old New Testament that were blown to get attention. There was a trumpet right after Jesus died that blew and the dead raised, right? A shout. There was many things. There's a trump of God that's going to sound one day and guess what? It's to get attention. To get attention, to call away. Uh, and, and you better listen for another trumpet someday, friend. Uh, you better, it will sound and you better be ready for the voice uh, that will call us in it. Uh, you better be ready for that trumpet. Uh, and we see the caller of this voice. Uh, um, secondly, we see the command of this voice. Uh, he says, uh, so we see the caller of this voice. That's who. We see the command of this voice. That's what. Uh, and then we see here in verse number 11, uh, he says, What thou seest write in a book. Write it in a book. I believe this verse is speaking as a whole, as if, you know, what you will see. But I also believe it could be particularly pointing to what he is about to be able to see. And that's what I believe. He said what you see, write it down. Write it down. Thank God he wrote it down. Because if he would not have, we wouldn't have seen it. Amen. 
And so there's the command of this voice. Then thirdly, there is the commission of this voice. Uh, He said, and send it unto the churches, seven churches of Asia. Simple, I know it's simple. And so that's commission, that's where. That's where these churches will get uh, into, uh, uh, they're the representation of all the churches as a whole, by the way. Uh, um, That's what they are. And beloved, I tell you, God has something to say to us through this book too, though. Thank God he did. Amen. Thank God he wrote it down. Amen. Amen. So we see the valley, the value, and the voice of Jesus. Fourth, I want you to notice the view of John. The Bible says, and I'm trying to hurry, the Bible says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden can- seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. He was in the midst of them. John looks and he sees the one who he has seen before, but never like this. He hadn't seen him like this before. He's unveiled. And I understand he saw him unveiled, but it didn't describe him like this. Notice with me a few things. I want you to notice a voice that is compelling. The Bible says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. You you see that? I mean, this voice was compelling him. He said, I have to see who this is. Can you just say, can I just say he's always going to be worth listening to? Amen, friend. He compelled me at salvation. And I think I'll go with God now too. Yes, the voice that is compelling. Then secondly, I want you to use uh, uh, the view of the candlesticks. The view of the candlesticks. It says seven golden candlesticks. This gold, it symbolizes quality. Typically, it's a symbolization of deity as well, but here we see quality in this gold, something that golden candlesticks, and the candlestick symbolizes the church. Amen. Symbolizes the church and the work of the church, which is to be a light, as we learned this morning. And then we see the view of the Creator. Where the Bible says, in verse 13, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened unto the Son of Man. If candlesticks represents the church and the Son of, God, Son of Man is Christ uh, and He's in the midst of them, uh, then that tells me uh, that Christ abides within the church. Uh, that Christ abides within the churches. Uh, I tell you, friend, hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Uh, he abides within us as the church body. Uh, he abides within, uh, within us here. Uh, and that is the church building. Uh, and that's what He is for us. Uh, friend, a view of the creator he stands in the midst of the churches man that's a blessing to me and I want you to notice number five the vestige of Jesus the vestige we understand that his vestige was marred in Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14 his vestige was so marred that no man knew him and we understand all that but this is a different vestige it mentions him that the candlesticks were beautiful, friend. Let me read the verses. We'll read them as we go. These candlesticks it mentions, and in the midst of seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed 
with garments down to the foot and gird about uh, the paps of the golden girdle. He goes and he tells us there, uh, hey, the, the, those candlesticks, I mentioned them twice and they're wonderful. They're beautiful, but the one in the midst of them. Oh, the one in the midst of them outshines them all. Uh, it does not matter just as about the, the church and the candlesticks there. That matters and they're great, but the one in the midst of them. Uh, and we understand uh, that that's what this book is all about. Uh, you'll find that there's a great white throne on in chapter 19, uh, but there's one that sits on it that outshines the great white throne. Uh, he's greater than the great white throne, friend. Uh, and so there's the message here, uh, and he has a lot to say about it. He has four verses that he sets aside for his message uh, he mentions his clothes the Bible says with a garment down to the foot and gird about uh, um, the paps with a golden girder he was not seen in a manger uh, he was not seen on a cross uh, but he was seen uh, in apparel like a king uh, apparel like a royal garment uh, a priestly garment uh, a judge's garment by the way uh, you look at it and you'll find that's exactly what they wear uh, his clothing was prepared for what was up ahead Amen. We see his clothes. We see his characteristics where the Bible says his head and his hair were white with wool. So it mentions his head and his hair. This symbolizes, this could symbolize astuteness, power, wisdom, royalty, purity. We understand it could symbolize a bunch of stuff. Age. Some people, some commentators have to say it has something to do with age. I didn't know he aged. But I. I God help me. That's why I don't agree with all commentators. That's some good ones too. But I didn't know he aged. But anyway, uh, anyway, I tell you is that Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. What is that? That's purification. So, using the Bible as my commentator, he's speaking of purity. Amen. And so his head and his hair, and then it goes on and it mentions, uh, and his eyes were as flames of fire. Uh, it mentions his eyes. Uh, this could symbolize anger. God will never get along with sin. He'll never get along with sin. Then it goes on and mentions his feet, and his feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in the furnace. His feet, uh, this could speak of action. Now, brass symbolized judgment. It did in the tabernacle. Symbolized judgment. And so, it symbolizes judgment. Here he is. And he is fixing to go into action. And guess what he's about to do? He's about to judge. Right? His voice. The Bible says, and his voice is the sound of many waters. This ain't the trumpet anymore. This is the waters. This could speak of his audio. We understand that this is a sound that will ring through. No man's going to miss it. Amen. We see his characteristics, his clothes. Then we see his carrying. Verse 16, the Bible says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now I tell you, we see two things on him that, is, that he is toting here. Right? In his hands, he's toting the stars, seven stars. This speaks of the pastors of the churches. We see in verse number 20, it speaks of that. 
We speak of the pastors of the churches, and some people don't agree with that either, but they can go suck eggs. I don't believe they're right. I believe that it is the pastor of the seven churches that is in there, and I believe that's the representatives of it, and we can see that. But stars lead in God, right? Didn't stars lead the shepherds to Jesus the first time? Who's going to lead them to Jesus now? Right? I mean, the Bible says you put them put them as overseers. Just putting the Bible together. I mean, the Bible says you put them as overseers of the flock of God. Feed the flock of God, Peter tells us. I'm telling you, is that as should pastors. Pastors should lead, and they should guide. And the word stars here means messenger. What occasion is that? Those who carry the gospel out. Those who carry the gospel out. You know the world doesn't care about us. Man, he holds us in his hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Seven stars, then we see the sword. Now this, my friends, we know speaks of the word of God. The Bible says it's a two-edged sword. Cuts to the dividing asunder of the soul. We understand that Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, that's the fact. But by his word he created and by his word he will destroy it. He will destroy it. He's carrying. Everybody all right? We're almost done. Then we see his countenance. For the Bible says in verse number 16, his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. This is he, friend. In all of his glory. John said, that's him. I remember him now. That's him. And his sun, he's shining as bright as the sun is. And he shineth in all of his strength and all of his power and all of his might. That is him, friend. Amen. And then we see his compassion where the Bible says, And when I saw him, I fell as at feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Even in the midst of impending judgment, God is compassionate to one of his own. Aren't you glad for that this evening? I'm glad for that this evening. Praise the Lord. I am thankful that God is compassionate to his own. Amen. We see the valley, the valuing of John, the valley of John, the voice of Jesus, view of Jesus, message of Jesus, and lastly, and I'll be done maybe, I may mention one just small. We notice the victory in Jesus. It's going to get good. The Bible says, and fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the first and the last. What does that tell us? Well, that tells us he's a victor in his reign. He's a victor in his reign. I'm the first and the last. John is reminding us that Jesus is the beginning. He's the ending. He's the author. He's the finisher of all things. And that's what he is. He's the one who has always been and the one who will always be, thank God. He was there in the beginning and before the beginning. And he will always be thereafter. Amen, friend. Jesus stands as the great, uh, um, great, great uh, king uh, of all. And kings may come and kings may go. uh, But Jesus has, he is, and he will always be, thank God. Uh, Amen. Uh, He is timeless. Uh, He's eternal. 
There's nothing nobody can do uh, to stop Him. Uh, And what we have here is nothing less uh, than a clear claim of deity. uh, A a claim of deity uh, by the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm the first uh, and I'm the last. uh, Meaning, I am all in all. Amen, Amen, friend. Uh, Hallelujah. I'm thankful He's my all. He's victor in his reign. Uh, then we can look at and find uh, where the Bible tells us a little farther there. Uh, the Bible says, I am he that liveth and was dead. He's not only victor in his reign, but he's victor in his redemption. Uh, now we understand, uh, um, Jesus died, uh, and but his death was not like any other death uh, in the history of all people who have died. Uh, he died not for himself. Uh, he died not because of himself, uh, but he died for everybody else. Uh, thank God, thank God, he went to the cross uh, to pay uh, a price that he did not owe. Uh, I owed that price. Uh, I owed that debt. Uh, friend, he went to the cross to pay that uh, for ones who could not pay it. Thank God, friend, He gave His all for those who had nothing to offer. Me. He paid the whole price to redeem His people from their sins. He placed Himself between us and our sins. You understand this, right? That's what He did and God said, let us Form man in our image. Read this not long ago. God said, form man in our image. So they did, right? The world says we must conform man in our image. That's what the world says. The devil said, I will deform man by sin. And then education says, let us inform man by knowledge. And then society says we will reform man by culture. Only Christ says I will transform man by what I did for him. Only Christ said that, friend. He's accomplished through one offering what millions of gallons of blood of heifers and all the rest, animal blood that never, ever worked to take away sin. I'm telling you, friend, he paid the full redemption price for our sins. You know there was also always a price? Y'all know that? You look up scripture, use scripture's commentary. There was always a price for redemption. Something always had to be paid in place of something else. To get something, you had to pay something else. And that's what he did for us. Thank God. I am he that liveth, was dead. Hallelujah. He is victor in his reign and in his redemption. He is victor in his resurrection where the Bible says, I am him that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus uses the divine title. He says, I am the living one. This title was used by Jews I read to distinguish Jehovah from false gods and stuff of that sort. But their gods was dead. Their gods was made of wood and stone. 
the gods was made of uh, all of that. But Jehovah is the self-existing one. He's the eternal one. And Jesus did something no man has ever done. Y'all getting that? He did something no man has ever done. He entered death in his own time and in his own way. And having accomplished everything he came to this earth to do, he then walked out of the grave and ascended back to heaven. Hallelujah, friend. He died on the cross and then he rose again. Aren't you glad he lives? Amen. Glad I don't serve a dead God. Amen. Amen, friend. He's a victor in his resurrection. He's a victor in his remaining. The Bible says, I am alive forevermore. I'm alive forevermore. You know what that means? He's always going to be alive. Amen, Amen friend. Uh, Jesus proclaims one that will never taste death again. He proclaims to be one that will never taste it again. He lives and he will live forevermore. You know what? That's a blessing to you. It ought to be a blessing to you. You know why? Because if he, if he were dead, you'd be dead. But because he lives forevermore, you can live forevermore. And I'm telling you, friend, whenever ruler and ever subject is faded from the fabric of this world uh, and everything has turned uh, and every man has died, uh, he'll still be living forevermore. Uh, and I'm thankful for that, friend. Uh, he'll still be God when everybody else falls. Amen. Amen. Then he's victor in his removing. The Bible says... Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Amen, friend. Keys speaks of access. It speaks of authority. And I have keys, you know. I carry my keys to the shop and that sort of stuff with me. But because I possess keys, I have access to things connected with keys. Right? Right? If you have keys to Walmart, you can get into Walmart, right? Simple. I mean, it's, it's, it's simple, but because I have those keys, I can go places others are not allowed to go. Amen. How about that? Can't nobody else get into Rogers Masonry Shop, but I can. You know why? Because I got the keys. And the same is true with Jesus tonight. Amen. It's the same exact things. And friend, I tell you, Jesus possesses the keys to death and hell. And what he throws in there, you know, I've never read in Scripture where Jesus didn't possess the keys to hell or death. Have you? I've never read it in Scripture. I've never read it in Scripture where the devil ever held them in his hand. Never have. You know, we say that saying... Uh, Christ uh, got the keys to death and hell after he won after he won at Calvary, but I don't know if that's the case. I think he might have held them the whole time, right? I'm just telling you the truth. Is that here he is though, and here he is as the key holder. He's the one who has the keys to it. If he didn't have the keys before, he does now. So that's all that matters. But I tell you, is that he has the keys to death? Means when the graves go up, he's going to be the one to open them. And when the devil goes down, he's going to be the one to put him in there and lock him up. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm thankful for that tonight. I am grateful that he is the one who holds it tonight. Amen. I'm thankful that he is. And I'm thankful I can trust in him in all things this day, this evening. I am thankful that I can trust in God this evening. 
We've seen the value, the valuing, the valley, and I'm done. And I'm not, I'm not going to preach this, but I'm just going to tell you. To cover those next two verses, I was going to simply tell you that there was a vision of John. And John looked upon them, and he saw the seven churches. And Jesus told him and commanded him of those seven churches. And he told him to write those things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which will be hereafter. Those things, it's a view and a vision of what will be. He said, you're going to see them and you need to write them down. And then he goes on to tell us the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. And the seven gold, golden candlesticks. So that's the pastors and the, and, the, and the churches there. The seven stars are the angels. That word angel means messenger. We already addressed that. Where the angel means messenger of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So it explains it all right there. That's what they are. And John sees that vision and he says, Jesus tells him, write this down. Because you need to know it and they need to know it one day. And I'm thankful tonight that I know it. Amen. I'm thankful that I can hold on to the word of God and say, I know it's true. I'm thankful I can look and I can simply tell you right now that when I look, I want to see Jesus. One day when I see him in face to face, that's all I want to see. I, I mean, I want to see Paul and I want to see Moses and I want to meet all those. But man, if I don't see Jesus, it all is vain. I want to see Jesus, don't you? And friend, I tell you, he's the victor of it all. We can trust him tonight. And I'm thankful that we can. There is what next week, Lord willing, we'll be jumping into chapter number two. Or maybe this week, I'm not sure, maybe Wednesday. Um, But nonetheless, we will be jumping into chapter number two. And uh, got through chapter number one a little bit faster than I thought I would. And that's okay. I thought I'd have four messages through it, but I'll just take two. And we're going to jump into chapter two, and it's going to get into the church ages. It's tough. Tough preaching, tough study, and um, there. But nonetheless, they are. Uh, there's great, great views that you can see in this stuff if we'll get into it. So you pray for me. We'll pray for you guys. Hope you'll have a good week. You can stand to your feet. We're done. Lord, we love you. We ask you, God, to help us, Lord, in every way. We pray, God, that you'd get ultimate glory out of this series and that you'd help us, Lord. And I'm thankful, God. I'm thankful, God, that as John looked and saw you, he gave us a vision. Uh, If we have any kind of imagination, Lord, that we could see you as well through this all. Lord, we could see you with the white hair and the uh, feet like brass, Lord, and everything, Lord, along those lines. Lord, the action that you're getting ready to take, Lord, here in the next chapters. Lord, and we pray, God, that you'd give us the means to rightly divide the word of truth left and right. Lord, we pray, God, that you'd help us to do that. And we ask you, God, to just help the church. We need your help. In Jesus' name, keep everybody safe on the route home and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.